Is he the way maker? Is he still a miracle worker? Is he a promise keeper? Is he a light in dark places? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's got a word for you today. Open your Bible. Genesis 12. Thank you, praise team. Steve, thank you for hearing God. Brother Desi, thank you for that prayer. Thank you. So, let me, let me um, if you're old enough to remember this, understand this phrase, let me let you behind the curtain. Uh, not to see the wizard, but uh, um, I'm getting just, just a slight ring on stage. So, as, as God's been processing us, He's been preparing your hearts, preparing our hearts for longer even than we've been serving here together. And so I want to, you know, let you kind of in on that. Here in a few weeks, I will go away and do what I do every year, and that is plan my sermon outlines for the following year. And so that each week when I get up, I, I've already got the outline and I begin to work on that. And that's been my practice for about 20 plus years. And the interesting thing happened when I did that planning more than a year ago, is that actually two years ago when I did the planning for that, I knew that in sometime in 2021, God was going to be moving us to another place, but I didn't know kind of how that was going to all flesh out. And honestly, I thought it was going to happen sooner than it did. But God is always on time, but as Henry Blackaby says, he's seldom early. And so an interesting thing, I, I prepared a series of messages in Genesis 12. And I expected that when I delivered those messages, I would already be at another church. And as it turned out, the Lord's timing was delayed. And so I actually preached from these 12 chapters of Genesis. Uh, I preached from them in my last church right at the end of my time of service there. But I knew that the Lord was preparing those messages for me then to deliver them in the next church that I was going to be at. And so I say that to tell you that on the first Sunday of October last year, I preached from Genesis 12 on the call of God to Abram to go. Now, what you might not know when you put those dates together <laughs> is that on the Wednesday before that, I got a phone call from Darren Casper that said, you ever thought about coming back to St. Louis? Does Ferguson have your resume? And I said, not really, and no, they don't. And he said, can I give it to them? And so he did And on that week, and I said, but I need this to move quickly because I think God's preparing us to move, and there's a couple of churches, and I didn't think it would move quickly. And I preached that message from this passage, very much what I'm going to share with you today, on the first Sunday in October of last year. That afternoon, I met with my deacons. It was our regularly scheduled monthly meeting. And my deacons asked me, was that message for you or for us? And I said, I think both. And we decided in that meeting that God was preparing to move us and that I would have a better answer by the time we met the next month. 
And that was a long deacon's meeting, a four-hour deacon's meeting. Yes. And I had forgotten my phone, and I didn't take my phone with me in that meeting. And I got home, and when I got home about 9.30 after a four-hour deacon's meeting, I had a text from Steve Hancock that said, can you call me? And I texted him back and said, can I call you tomorrow? Because I just finished a four-hour deacon meeting. And so I call, he called Monday morning, the 10th of October, and we began the conversation that brought us here in view of a call on December the 5th, that brought us here to start on January the 9th. And here we are. I wanted you to know that before we got into this message. And, and know that, that these things we've been looking at, God has had for both of us. And so we get to Genesis. Now, as a way of introduction, the three most significant religions in the world, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all call Abraham a father. When Islam tells that story, it connects to Abraham's son with Hagar named Ishmael, and it tells the story differently, and it has a different agenda. Judaism and Christianity tell the story in Genesis, and then as that story fleshes out, Judaism stops about 400 years before it's fulfilled. Christianity tells that story from Genesis and tells that story all the way down through Isaac embracing the fulfillment of the prophecy and then it coming to fruition in Jesus Christ and him being born and him dying for sin's penalty in the first century. Now, here we are walking through this, and I hope you're seeing how all of this fits together. Abraham comes from the line of Shem and his descendants through Abair, five generations then to Terah. And they were living in Mesopotamia between the Tigris and the Euphrates, modern-day Iraq and Iran. And Terah had a son named Abram. So we said last week that God is still on the move. And that he's fulfilling this promise from Genesis 3.15 that, that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And as we've seen, that promise narrowed then to Seth of Noah's line. I'm sorry, of Adam's line. And then it narrows to Noah. And then of Noah's three sons, it narrows again to Shem. And then it goes to Eber, to Terah. And then we meet his son, Abram later renamed by God Abraham. But right now, his name is Abram. And you should know that Abram, the name, means exalted father. That's what they call me at our house. (laughs) Exalted father. And yet, when we meet him here in chapter 12 of Genesis, he's 75 years old, and his beautiful wife Sarai is 65 years old, and there are no children. There is no daughter There are no sons. He is not a father, let alone an exalted father. And he's lived with that all of his life. Look with me, chapter 12. Let's read the first nine verses. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. All the peoples on earth 
will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Did you see it? The call, the promise, and the response. Write down number one, the call. Hello, God's on the line. God is calling. Is Abraham available? I have some instructions. Did you see it? The Lord said... Abram did not get up that morning and decide to make a life change. God called. Jesus said in John 6, 44, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Romans 2, 4 says that his kindness leads us to repentance. And so it says the Lord said... So let's just talk about what the Lord said. Write down under there, go. God is at work. And and he'd already called these descendants of Shem and Eber. If you look back, I don't think I put it into the notes, but if you look back in chapter 11, verse 31, here's what it says. It says, Terah, that's Abram's father, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, and his daughter-in-law Sarai. And then it says there in verse 31, it says, They set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans, that's between the Tigris and the Euphrates, to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran... Now let's stop right there for a second. Here's the interesting thing considering what we looked at last week. It's very similar to the downfall in Babel. Because in Babel, God had told them to what? Fill the earth, to spread out, right? But it says they came to a pleasant valley, and they settled. They didn't follow God's command to fill the earth. Instead, they settled in a pleasant valley. You don't have to say guilty, but we've all been there. We get in trouble when we settle for less than obedience. When Stephen preached about this in Acts chapter 7, he tells us that Abraham was called back in Ur. If you look at it on a map, it's, it's northeast across a desert from Israel. Before he went to Haran, which is way up to the north, they would have to go up and around and down. God called Terah, his father. 
And Terah even embraced the call and took his family and they headed out and they came to Haran. And it says in verse 31 of chapter 11, they settled there. You say those three words, they settled there. Do you know what Haran means? It means crossroads. Often we start out to go with God. But we come to a crossroads. And we go another way. Or we just settle right there halfway to the promise. By the way, one of Herod's sons, coincidentally, was named Haran. And he had died back in Ur. And I don't know, maybe Terah was still grieving. And as he got out that way, he just couldn't think about letting go where his son had passed away. Maybe he was grieving and just couldn't go on, or maybe he was tired and just couldn't go on. But regardless, it says they settled. Listen to what I'm going to say. Not all who are called go. And not all that go, go all the way. But listen, all that go, all that come with God, those that settle for nothing less than all the way, find all that they need. I'll say that again. Not all that are called go, and not all that go, go all the way. But everyone that does, finds all that they need. And so, here they are at this crossroads in Haran. And Terah died. And praise God for the second call. Maybe you've been there. You know what God told you to do and you didn't take it all the way, but then he called again. And so here in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, go. I personally kind of like the King James because it says, And the Lord said to Abram, go forth. You know, because we're related. (laughs) Go right down from Henry Blackaby says that you can't stay where you are and go with God. You remember Ruth. She was from Moab. And she was married to Naomi, an Israelite's son. And he died and then Naomi was going back and she wanted to go with her. And she said, no, you stay here. And she said, no, I will go where you go and I will stay where you stay. And your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And God tells Abraham, leave your land, leave your family, leave your father's house. What did Jesus say in John 14, 26? If we come after him, we must, what? Hate our father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even our own lives to be his disciples. Now, that doesn't mean that we always have to hate or we have to abandon. But what it means is that we love God first and we commit fully to follow him and abandon, listen, any competing agenda. Following him becomes our only agenda. Some of you are in this place at this time because God had an agenda and he brought you here. 
Some of you have stayed in this place because God has an agenda and he's kept you here. And so Adam's family lived. Now, now here's what's interesting. Adam's family lived among idol worshipers. They were among the people of Nimrod. They're around Babylon, that area. Those that have been led to rebel against God in Genesis 11. And I think about what Joshua said in Joshua 24 when he's speaking to the children of Israel. And he says this, he says, Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived among or beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. That's what Joshua said. And then he says, Before I took your father Abraham from the region beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout the land of Canaan. Whenever we go with God, it is always from something. Something. Maybe something good, maybe something bad. But if God says go, we have to leave or we're not. So we go from, and if we're going from, then we're going to, right down to. It very interestingly and very common in my experience is that he doesn't tell Abraham where. He says, go to a place I will show you. I like that. God doesn't tell him where they're going, but he does tell you, I'm going to show you the way. Not just to the place I'm going to tell you about, but the place I'm going to what? I'm going to show you. You understand what that's saying? He says, I'm coming with you. Oh, I can do anything if God will come with me. I can do anything if he's with me. What did Jesus tell his disciples when he gave them the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you? Why? Because, lo, look, I am with you. Yeah. God will, by the way, make the same promise to Isaac and then to Jacob. Every time God sends us, He always goes with us. And I will tell you this from my experience. If there's no other promise from God, then I will go with you. If my only promise is his presence, it's enough. Because we have a God who his presence is enough. But the great news is we have a much more God. And so that wasn't the end of it. So write down number two. the Stephen, again, when he's preaching in Acts chapter 7, he says in verses 2 and 3, Stephen Bruce, the preaching deacon. He says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, Brothers and fathers, he replied, Listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran, before... And he said to him, leave your country and relatives and come to the land I will show you. So interestingly, when when the NIV translates chapter 12, verse 1, it says the Lord had said. Because it's talking about all the way back there in Ur. Before they went to Haran, God had already given instruction. So when we get to chapter 12, he's just saying it again. And so there was a pause in the going. 
There was a settling for a time. But God had gloriously appeared to Abraham, giving him a reason to place his faith. And so the word of promise, here it comes again in verse 2. And he says, I will, and let's just break down these promises. Write down, make you into a great nation. The exalted father who has no children, who's past the age of bearing children... Not even a daughter, let alone a son, so that he can have an heir. None of that. And God said, about that. And so Genesis 3.15, it said, The seed of the woman, the male seed, would crush the serpent's head. So God is doing something here. And you think about it, and it's Adam to Seth to Noah to Shem to Eber to Abram. And he says, you too will father a son. And we see that in Isaac and then in Jacob and we go on down to Judah and then we go further down to Mary of Joseph and then comes Jesus, the Christ. So God says, I'll make you into a great nation. But then notice this promise. He says, I will bless you. The greatest blessing of God is that he knows my name let alone that he would stoop down and bless me. Barak means to kneel and praise. That he would kneel and praise. Man, who am I? I don't know if you know, y'all are special people, but I, who am I? And I immediately thought of 2 Samuel 7, 8 and 9, when God's talking about David, and he says, I took you from the pasture to rule my people. And then God says to him, I've been with you wherever you've gone. You were nothing. You were just a shepherd out in the field and nobody knew your name. And I've done this with you and I've been with you all along the way. And in that same chapter, 2 Samuel 7 verse 18, David says, Who am I, Lord, that you have brought me this far? Oh man, I can pray that prayer. Because I know me. Yes. And Abram, who had worshipped man-made idols, hears the Lord of the universe, the unmade maker, the uncreated creator, say to him, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. See, everything God took him from, everything that was now missing, God was going to give him. Don't ever worry about giving up stuff for God because God's got a bigger storehouse than you do. Psalm 16, 5 says, Lord, you are my portion and my cup and my blessing and you hold my future. So I will bless you, but then it's, he's a much more God. And so write down then, and you will be a blessing. God says, all the people on earth will be blessed through you. We don't know what the ripple effect will do in our lives, but it will always be greater than we could have ever imagined. 
And we know from Scripture what God is doing here, and we've made this, the, the connection all the way through this f- series in Revelation 7, 9, when it says that in heaven there's a vast multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language so that no one could number, and they are standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they are clothed with white robes. And I heard somebody say this week, oh, there's not going to be an, any ethnicity in heaven. And I said, you haven't read the Bible I've read. Because God is a multicolored God and he's created a beautiful picture and he's going to paint that picture in glory. And we're just trying to paint a copy. Oh, listen, we lost the garden because of our sin. And we broke our relationship with God because of our sin. So how do we get from Genesis 3 to Revelation 7, 9? It is with the blood of Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman. And salvation begins right here. I'm trying not to get too excited. I'm going to shout in a second. You will be a blessing, a variation of the same. Barakah is the word, and it means prosperity and peace and a generous life. And he said, that's coming through you for the whole world. Listen, the call of God comes to us. And always with the promise of more than we could ask or imagine, like Ephesians 3.20 says. But we cannot stay where we are far away from the promise. We cannot stay as we are, enemies of God, caught up in false worship, self-worship, self-indulgence. And we still have an opportunity to respond to the call and the promises. And so we must have the right response. So write down number three, the response. It's stated very matter-of-factly, but did you see it in verse 4? So Abram went. Oh, God's not asking for much. He's just asking for all. (laughs) So he went. The call of God to go. He'd had a revelation in Ur, and he started, and then he stopped at the crossroads, and now he went As the Lord had told him, that's the way to go. I just don't know what God wants. What did he tell you? Do that. Hebrews 11 tells this story. And in verse 8 to verse 10, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And he went out even though he did not know where he was going. That's what it says. Hebrews eleven eight, Verse 9 says, By faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, Doug, whose architect and builder is God. Hmm. Why? Hebrews 11 says it over and over again by faith. 
by faith, by faith. And I love, and as I was looking at this one more time last night, I was drawn again to that phrase right there in the middle when it says, even though he did not know where he was going. He went. Even though he did not know where he was going. Do you hear that, Ferguson? If we know God is called and we know God is sending, we go even if we don't know how this is going to play out. We just do what he said. Oh, but I was hoping it would. I didn't ask you all that. Well, I thought that maybe when we can figure it all out and we lay it. No, I didn't ask you all that. Go even though he didn't know where he was going. And so we go even though we don't know where this is going to take us. We know what God has said and we do that. Write down, he believed. Abram believed the revelation of God. He heard an amazing promise, and he knew that he couldn't do that. He couldn't create that. He was literally completely dependent on the move of God to complete the promises of God. Somebody. I know what God's called us to do, and we can't do it. David understood that. 2 Samuel 23, verse 5. David, talking about his own life, said, Is it not true that my house is with God? For he has established a permanent covenant with me, ordered and secured in every detail. And will he not bring about my whole salvation and my every desire? (laughs) Abram believed the promises of God and that God would order them and secure them. That's what Paul taught us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that it's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of anything we can do. And yet, while we cannot provide it, listen, that does not mean that we are simply passive. Because, write this down, and this will shape the last things we will say, faith acts. In his study, Experiencing God, which, by the way, has just been re-released, and I'm hoping maybe we will look at it again, Henry Blackaby invites us to join God, and he says that when God invites us to join him, it creates in us a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. God provides for his promises, but we have to adjust our lives to follow and experience him. So let me give you a couple of things here about what it is when faith acts. First of all, when faith acts, faith goes. Say faith goes. Abram didn't stay in Ur. He said, I'm with you, God. (laughs) No, I'm going over there. Faith goes. He didn't stay as an idol worshiper. He worshiped God. Abram went and then say faith does. What does it do? As the Lord told him. And let's admit that sometimes, well, I'll admit, it's probably not you. Sometimes I'm very busy, but I'm not doing what God is doing. Oh, I'm doing godly stuff, right? We are busy, but we aren't always doing as the Lord told us. Abram, like Paul in Romans 7, struggled 
his whole life with his sinful nature, struggled with his desires, struggled with his fears, struggled with his emotions, struggled with trust issues. Somebody says guilty. But we have to do as the Lord says, and then we learn that simple thing in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings in all your ways. Acknowledge him. Know him. And he will make your path straight. It's what Deuteronomy 5, 32 and 33 says. Be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. And don't turn aside to the right or to the left. Follow the whole instruction of the Lord that he has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and have long life. They got sidelined in Haran at that crossroads. But even there, it's interesting, God was faithful. And they left with more accumulated wealth than they had when they stopped. And so verse 5, they set out for the land of Canaan. And God continues to reveal. He says, to your offspring, I'm going to give you this land. Can you just see him taking this little tour of Canaan? And God goes, yeah, I'm going to give your kids that. Uh, I'm going to give your kids. Every time he saw, wow, that's beautiful, Lord, I'm going to give that to your kids. Wow, this is tough, Lord, I'm going to give that to your kids. Oh, this is wonderful, God. I'm going to give that to your kids. I have similar feelings when I drive around here. So then, the act of faith that goes and does, it's faith that worships. What have we said? Worship is an expression of adoration to the object of our affection. And the greatest adoration to the object of our affection is when we go and we do. And it's an act of worship. And so verse 7 says, So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Listen, we, 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 we can't worship without sacrifice, can we? You think about that. If, if Abram worshiped there, he built an altar that took work and there was a cost and there was blood to be shed. David once was wanting to set up a place of worship and the guy said, oh, I'll just give you the land. And he said, no, I will not offer anything that costs me nothing. An act of worship is costly and it is personal. And then in verse 8, he worships again. He goes to Bethel and he worships again. Do you understand Bethel from later on? Bethel is the place where Jacob camped and had a dream about angels going up and down the staircase and doing the things of God. And when he woke up in Genesis 28, 16, and 17, after that dream, there in Bethel, same place that Abram is now, he says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. He says, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. Listen, when you go with God and you worship God and you're sharing your faith and you're being who God's called you to be and you look up and go, this is the gate to heaven. Faith goes. Faith does. Faith worships. And then did you see it? Faith calls on the name of the Lord. Isn't that just the basics of it? I mean, Romans 10, 11 says, everyone who believes in me will not be put to shame. And Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Abram learned to call on the name of the Lord because God never disappoints. 
And so later in his life, in Genesis 21, verse 33, Abram planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. See, as we get to know God in new ways, we call him new names. We learn things about him we'd never seen before. And Abram learned about the everlasting God. David understood it in Psalm 90, verse 2, when he said, Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. So I'm going to do what you're doing because you were here before and you will be here after. And all this will be gone, so I'm going to worship you. Call on the name of the Lord. I love Psalm 20, verse 7 and 8, some trust or take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we trust, we pride ourselves in the name of the Lord of God. They collapse and fall, but we will rise and stand firm. Call on the name of the Lord. Well, what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? I, I don't have time to break it down, but let me give it to you. To call on the name of the Lord is the, the, the name of the Lord is his authority. The name of the Lord is his reputation. The name of the Lord is his character. The name of the Lord are his promises. The name of the Lord is his bond. And so when we call on the name of the Lord, we are calling on his reputation and character and promises and bond. And so we call on the name of the Lord. Isaiah 45, 5 and 6 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God but me. I will strengthen you, though you do not know me, so that all may know from the rising of the sun to the setting, there is no one but me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. For this is what the Lord says, verse 18 of Psalm 45, the creator of the heavens, the God who formed the earth and made it, the one who established it. He did not create it to be a wasteland, but he formed it to be inhabited. And he says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. You see... We call on who God is, who God is. We call on what God is known for. We call on what God has promised. We call and he acts accordingly. If you're not getting much, maybe you're not asking for much. Maybe you're not asking based on his name, based on his reputation, based on his sovereignty, based on his bond, based on his promises. And then maybe the most relatable thing here for us is in verse 9. Depending on your translation, I, I, I love the way the CSB puts it. It says, Then Abram journeyed by stages. Can you relate? Some translations say, And then Abram's still going onward. I don't know about you, but you know, God is revealing and He's proving and He's leading, and Abraham may not have been right all the time, but he just kept moving. He kept moving in stages, if you can relate. And man, I can relate. I mean, I am not always running all out. And I am always running as straight as I ought to. And sometimes I get tired and I got to sit down for a minute. But I'm moving on in stages, somebody. And I'm acting on faith in him. I'm acting, I'm going, I'm doing, I'm worshiping, I'm calling. And I look up and I realize God did something. I was talking to Andy Chambers this week from Missouri Baptist and we were having a conversation about our life. And I said, you know, sometimes I tend to focus on all the things I didn't do. 
and I focus on my failures and I focus on the what ifs. And he looked at me and he said, you've had an amazing life. And I said, I'm starting to realize that. It hasn't been the way I would have expected it to go, but it has been amazing because God did something. Genesis 15, 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. You see, there is a result. And the result is the righteousness of God imputed, credited to his account. Was he righteous and perfect? Nope. Far from it. But he had faith. And Paul says in Romans 4.21 that by that faith, he was fully convinced that God is able to do what God said he would do. And salvation is born by faith in the word and the provision of God. And Abraham was looking forward, Hebrews 11 says, to a city whose architect, whose foundation was laid by God, built by God, fully designed by God. And so I just say as I try to finish here, have you heard God call? And I know you've heard the promises of forgiveness and eternal life available. And so the question really, whether you're watching or you're here today, is the question is, will you believe what God said? And will you receive it by faith? And will you walk with him? And if you will, he will show you the land that faith provides. And so my simple finish is this. Why not today? Why not right now? Would you pray with me? You hear God calling. If you've never trusted him for salvation, would you trust him today? Recognizing that he will forgive you. That he has provided for your forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And so could you right there where you are say something like this, Lord Jesus, yes, I am a sinner. And I understand that my sin separates me from God. But I believe you died for me to pay for my sin. And so I receive that by faith. Wash me, cleanse me, renew me. If you prayed something like that, I believe that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus right now. And so as you have placed your faith in him, I'd invite you to walk with him. Maybe you're here and you say, oh, I can tell you, I can remember when I did that, but I just kind of got sidelined at a crossroads. Maybe you're watching us online and you said, I got tied up with stuff a couple of years ago and I've just never gotten back to it. Can I call you back today? Oh, the world will never be the same, but God will always be the same. Maybe you've been serving in an area and God's been calling you and you just, you just took a break. Could you say, Lord Jesus, I come? Maybe you're here today and you say, man, I've just been doing everything I know how to do. And can you just commit today to doing it? Keep trusting him.